today on Ag News Daily. So this is one of the fastest rallies that milk has had in the history of the milk market, uh, driven by the spot cheese price, um, which has more than doubled. And so as far as how much upside it can go, Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell here, joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing today? You know, Delaney, I am well. This was a crazy weekend. I know a lot of our listeners are out there in rural America. Things were quiet, I suppose, for a lot of folks out there on the countryside. But in major cities, this weekend saw a lot of upheaval as uh, folks were basically sick of police brutality, particularly racism, police brutality. And I'm back in Iowa this past week, but I tell you what, the the main protests and uh, some of the rioting in Chicago took place about two blocks from from my house. My little sister said, don't come back this week. Mm. Everything is pretty tense. Yeah, that's definitely been eating up the news. Uh, So I'm not sure if you feel like that's relief from COVID-19 or if you'd prefer to go back to hearing more COVID-19 based headlines. Well, I tell you what, it has certainly pushed COVID-19 to the back burner. I think it's safe to say that most folks are not too concerned with social distancing anymore. No. Maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe that's kind of the, the thing we needed to turn the corner on a lot of the the COVID news. We did see the cattle markets down today, you know, on the thought that you know this is probably going to do some damage on the front month end to restaurant demand as, you know, a lot of traders were anticipating major cities reopening from the COVID situation now. Yeah, it's probably gonna probably gonna be a, a little while before folks uh, get active going back to downtown restaurants. But um, you know, there's always something happening in agriculture, and y'all want to circle back to something we talked about on Friday. I know both you and Ashton talked about it on the Friday show, which was President Donald Trump's response to China and their efforts to impose more totalitarian rules on the well, formerly special and unique place of Hong Kong. Uh, President Trump came out. He he said he confirmed that the U.S. will try to revoke Hong Kong's special status, a status that has maintained since the handover from the British to the Chinese, as China basically tries to force Hong Kong to be more like the rest of China. You know, the Chinese weren't pleased. And in response, this morning, they came out and they told a number of their large state firms, these are the companies that the, the state of China owns or has interests in, uh, they told them to stop buying U.S. pork and soybeans. Uh, they hinted that those were the first two agricultural products they're going to take aim at in their retaliation. And um, that put some pressure on soybeans initially uh, earlier this morning, definitely put some pressure on pork, and then came out just a little bit later in the day, probably about noon, that uh, Chinese state-owned firm purchased at least three bulk shipments of soybeans today. They bought three shiploads, at least 180,000 tons. There were two traders quoted as saying China bought five shipments of beans, which would be closer to 300,000 tons. So apparently, if I don't know. I, they clearly weren't serious about telling their state-owned firms to not buy American soy if they stepped in and bought up to 300,000 metric tons of soy this morning. I also saw on Reuters they were reporting that they also encouraged their people not to buy corn and cotton as well. Ah, gotcha. I hadn't seen that. But it makes sense if they're they're going to target American agriculture. That is one spot they know that uh, a lot of President Trump supporters are in ag. It's a sector that has really been suffering since President Trump kicked off the trade war there at the start of his administration. And, you know, China's probably trying to bring that heat back, though, obviously not very seriously, mm-hmm. if they're still willing to make purchases. 
Absolutely. Mike, I've got to ask here. Um, are you keeping a dog captive? Oh, can you hear the pup in the background? Just a little bit. It's just some nice noise for our listeners today. They probably yeah, think absolutely. that you're... Uh... Well, there, there is a captive puppy. My girlfriend has a puppy that's a sheepadoodle. And mm. uh, she is a very active and bitey puppy. So she, I put her in her little kennel so I could talk without being jumped upon. Okay. Just curious. Maybe we should just thought maybe we should address that in case people think you're running some sort of like puppy mill or something. Sadly, no, no puppy mill. Puppies are, are just an expense. <laughs> well, to, taking a look at some other news for today, of course, it is Market Monday, and we're going to chat about this with Naomi Bloom coming up in just a little bit. But USDA released their April soybean crush numbers. And we saw them come in at about 182.5 million bushels. uh, Reuters had reported this story as of today. Uh, Came in likely a little short compared to what trade analysts were expecting as far as soybean crush goes. Delaney, was there any reference in there? I, I have not seen the crush numbers quite yet. I've been running around all morning. Where does this fall? Do we know, did Reuters say, compared to record? 182 million seems really strong. Not nearly as strong as the trade was guessing, as you mentioned, but pretty close to a record, I would think. Yes, I'm looking. I don't see where the record sits. So we'll gotcha. have to ask. I'm sure Naomi will be able to guess that for us. But actually, month prior, uh, came in at 192 million bushels. So... Ah, okay. That yeah, one my thinking may, must be off. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I've got some more... No, new... Uh, gosh. I've got some more soybean news as well. This is a report out from the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service. They and... Well, let's see. All right. Brazil's Ministry of Agriculture reports, as reported by the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service, that Brazil will be producing 152 million metric tons of soybeans and 115 metric tons of corn by the 2028-29 marketing year. So they're looking out 10 years from now. And uh, that will basically double Brazilian soybean plantings. Um, They do say that some of this will come from increased acreage as Brazil continues to push into the Cerrado, the giant pasture land area in the central part of uh, western Brazil. But some of it they do anticipate to come from growing yields as new crop technologies continue to push Brazilian yields higher. So that combination of new acres where the U.S. can't really compete. We don't really have much new ground to put into soybeans. Um, boy, that shocked me. Uh, that is a huge increase, both in beans and in corn. It certainly is. Yeah, huge increase there. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure it's it's been intensified by the recent massive amounts of purchases mm-hmm. in the Brazilian ag market, both as a consequence of the trade war, which you know we could have done something about, and the weakness of the real versus the U.S. dollar, which you know that's just a, a function of global trade. Yep, it certainly is. So we'll continue to watch that, see if the real weakens. Maybe we can get Naomi's take on that as well. Sorry, if the U.S. dollar will weaken, not the, not the real. 
Absolutely. It has been on a uh, basically a two-week downtrend since May 14th. So we'll, we'll get to the Naomi's thoughts on whether or not that'll continue. Delaney, do you have any other headlines before we get into the markets? I do have one other quick headline, and I'm just going to say it's definitely a Monday, Mike. But uh, the Senate is back in action this week, and one of their first issues to take up is the Paycheck Protection Program. Last week, we saw the House passed a bill that would extend the time that businesses and farms have to spend that PPP loan on payroll and reduce it from 75% to 60% of the amount of loan of the loan that has to be spent on wages. So we will continue to watch that. I'm sure the Senate will have some sort of amendments to make on their own, but hopefully it is a quick pass in the Senate as well and heads to the president's desk. Yeah, that would give some folks additional freedom during this challenging time, which you know could very well be extended as these, uh, these riots potentially continue across the country. Yeah, that's true. Well, I just have one other quick piece of news before we dive into the markets, and this is ethanol production, EIA, the Energy Information Association, no, agency, um, analyzed uh, RFA data for the week. They said that ethanol production climbed 9.2%. It increased 61,000 barrels per day to 724 million barrel per day equivalent, um, and that's the largest volume since March. However, production is still down considerably, we are down 31.5% of ethanol production versus the same week in last year. So ethanol climbing, but still nowhere it needs to be to get back to the USDA's target. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, Mike, why don't we take a look at where the markets ended for the day, see if that news was supportive or bearish for corn. Absolutely. Well, it looks like on the face of things, it was bearish as we see corn and wheat both down for the day. Soybeans up, but our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. If you want to protect your farm from some volatile swings in commodity pricing, learn how to hedge. Give our friends at agmarket.net a call or visit their website. It's right there in their name, agmarket.net. July corn down two cents at three twenty-three and three quarters. December down two and a half right now at three thirty-six and a quarter. Over in soybeans, the July was unchanged on the day at three forty and three quarters, while the November was up half a cent at eight fifty-two and a quarter. In the wheat market, July wheat down a nickel at five fifteen and three quarters. December down three and three quarters at five twenty-eight and a half. Looking over at the livestock market, the early very weak markets in cattle rebounded a little bit. The June contract, of course, moving into expiration down one and forty-two and a half. Excuse me, down a dollar forty-two fifty at ninety-eight thirty. The August down 62 and a half cents at 98.97.50. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 77 and a half at 136.1250. The September up a dollar 45 at 137.20. Lean hogs definitely saw some weakness on the day, probably accelerated by the news that China might quit making purchases. July contract down a dollar 87.50 at 55.15. The August down a dollar 62.50 at 55.10. Looking over at the dairy market, class three milk rally in the deferreds continues. Well, not a deferred anymore. June is now front. Month. June contract up 40 cents, closed at 18.90. The July also making moves to the upside, finished 26 cents higher at 17.94. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our friend Naomi Bloom. Well, as promised, we are joined by Naomi Bloom, senior analyst of Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, how are you doing today? I am great, Delaney. Great to hear your voice. 
It's great to hear yours as well, Naomi. It's been a little while since we've had you on the podcast. Tell us where things sit today. What is the market that you're watching most closely right now? Well, actually, keeping an eye on the milk market and the grain markets. Uh, milk market today had a screaming day higher. Um, it's nice to see that market recover after all of the COVID initial fallout. The June contract today got up to 1916. Last trade was 1890. And the theme of the the market over there is is the cheese. Um, the cheese price is just racing higher, uh, up 17 cents today on the blocks, and the barrel price was up seven and three quarters. So that's really supportive. It's, it seems that with the restaurants um, being a little bit more able to reopen, that the demand for dairy products is increasing. So that's that's the, the biggest thing of the day. And then, of course, with the grain complex, um, a little bit of a weaker day today, but coming off of the initial lows from earlier this morning after the news had emerged that China was going to retaliate to the president and not buy any agricultural products. But I think today's close was actually real good um, considering that news. And then, of course, um, towards the end of the day, we ended up hearing that China did indeed buy at least three cargoes of soybeans today. So they were able to take advantage of the price dip earlier in the morning and bought some on sale. Yeah. And, you know, I think we'll definitely circle back to that news on the soybean side. It was the very Chinese move to say, we're not going to buy anymore, buy the dip, and then, you know, see confirmation purchase later in the day. But Naomi, because you are our native Wisconsinian or Wisconsinite, we got to talk about this dairy market a little bit more because I remember, gosh, it feels like just three weeks ago, the June contract was in the 12s. And here we are kissing $19 in June. Realistically, how much bullishness is left in this market after that kind of a rally? Oh, good question. Right. So the low on April 22nd, uh, like you said, we were down near 1068. Oh, uh, June contract, um, almost $8 higher, um, you know, obviously higher than that $9 higher. So this is one of the fastest rallies that milk has had in the history of the milk market, uh, driven by the spot cheese price, um, which has more than doubled. And so as far as how much upside it can go, uh, that is a great question. I kind of personally wonder if we may be, in a sense, near a top because we are rallying on cheese and cheese news alone. Um, but what we'll want to see is the next production report that comes out in a couple of weeks um, to see if where our production numbers really lie. Because there were farmers that were asked to cut production, uh, you know, as you mm -hmm. know, by 10%. So, you know, did they do it for the short term or did they make bigger changes. So it's a, it's a bigger issue. And um, so, yeah, I don't know how much further we can go. I would think that, you know, technically speaking and fundamentally speaking, it to me would seem like it's going to run out of steam here, but um, what a recovery bounce and, and what a blessing for those dairy farmers after enduring that horrific price slide earlier and having to dump milk. So this is yeah. a great thing. It yeah, definitely. is. And so the other question I have for you real quick, Naomi, as you look at this kind of a rally, I know we've talked about this in regards to the cattle market in the past, but when we get this kind of upside move, does it create a vacuum to the downside where you know, should cheese prices start to falter, should production show you know not a 10% decline, these kind of things, would the fall be, be swift? Or, or are there some technical levels you're watching that could help provide some support should things turn around? Yeah, so um, it can be both. So there's times when we have the, the quick slam higher followed by a big drop lower. 
and how much it would drop just depends, I think, at that point on the fundamentals that we just looking at a, a June chart right now in the June contract, it's a big deal that the price was able to get through the, that resistance of $18. So part of me would say, well, you could argue why technically, technically speaking, it could go another dollar or two higher. But at the same time, that chart is really overbought. The RSI level is at 75. And so you you also need legitimate fundamental news to make it happen. If, if we don't get that news, Mike, we can't clear the $19 price hurdle and stay above there. Um, it'd be a quick correction back down to $16. Or six, and then that would be um, where the major support area lies. So the news will direct how quick it can continue to rally or how quick it would set back more. Naomi, I want to transition back then to talking soybeans. Since you mentioned some of the big news we talked about earlier on the podcast with the Chinese announcement that they were not going to be buying specifically U.S. pork and soybeans, and then they turned around and bought a few cargoes worth of U.S. soybeans. Was this just a political move or what do you, what's going on here? What's read between the lines for us, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, Delaney, I would agree with you. I think that, you know, they had to respond to President Trump's statement on Friday. Um, but then thinking about President Trump's statement, it wasn't overly harsh um, as far as what he potentially could have done. So I feel like it was a tit for tat kind of a thing. And, and China just had to say something. Um, but quite frankly, the fact that they bought beans so soon after being so adamant, like, oh, we're not going to do anything. Um in a way, I hate to say it, kind of, you know, they lose some credibility in this, but it also shows where their needs are and that they still do want to buy on sale and trying to buy before any potential summer rally that we would see. Looking at these charts, the, the soybean market continues to consolidate, consolidate in a sideways pattern that we've been in since the middle of April. It's about a 20, 25 cent trading range. And if the July futures can trade above and stay above 850, that opens the upside very quickly to $9. But we need some extra news to make that happen. It could be heat, it could be crop progress ratings, it could be planting progress, um, or even the USDA report next week on Thursday the 11th. And Naomi, while we're talking about the Chinese, while we've got them here, you know, on top of mind, they also said they would quit buying pork. We did see some weakness in the pork market today. How much impact would it have if China were to step out of the pork market and actually follow through on what they're saying? With the hog complex, um, there's in general uncertainty there because you usually were always able to export either one or one out of four hogs or one out of five hogs from this country. Um, but there's a lot of question there also in terms of production, just like we were talking about with milk, um, with the, some of the herd that was, um, euthanized, you know, how much do we have yet available that's going to be coming to market? Um, so looking ahead, I mean, right now we had slaughter last week. Um, for the week was at 1.96 million head, down from 2.1 million the previous week and down from 2.1 million a year ago. So we're we're lower in terms of numbers, but at the same time, is that just because of the processing not being there or are we actually lower numbers? There's a lot of people who are thinking there's more animals coming and we saw the um, pork cutout value decrease last week. So we want to keep an eye on what that's doing today. But Definitely, if we lose any exports to China, that's not going to help the situation. So the market for the hog prices have just taken a little bit of a risk off feeling as of late. And that's why prices were down the last couple of days. Naomi, I want to take things back here domestically and ask about the, specifically, I'm going to talk corn and soybean crops. Uh, We haven't seen the crop 
planting report as of yet today when we're recording this, but we continue to watch that. The other thing is I continue to see so much wet weather across the Midwest, the Dakotas not having the possibility likely to plant some acres since they're still harvesting 2019 crops. So is it too soon to talk about a weather market? Um, I would say, um, here's my thought of, of years past. If we have hot weather with no rain, the market gets excited about that. If we have temperatures that are in the mid 80s with time it rains all along the way, people assume that the crops get larger. So weather is always something that we have to monitor and um, what happens over the next few weeks. And of course, you know, heading into um, July with um, pollination and types of things like that, that's always going to be first and foremost, weather would take over the marketplace. But you hit a good point as far as what's happening with North Dakota, because even over Memorial weekend, I had clients who were still harvesting I have clients there who are still trying to get things planted. Some of them are asking the questions, is it worthwhile to take the prevent plant? Do they try to put soybeans in instead? And and that's something to keep an eye on. And as you know, on that June 11th USDA report, that's when the USDA is able to say if there's any corrections that need to be made as far as the size of the crop in the Dakotas for harvested acres or yield. That could be something that lends support to the market for old crop Um and we'll see some of that reflected on this afternoon's report. The market expectation is that corn should be overall 94% planted and that beans should be about 79% planted. So we'll keep an eye on that. But Delaney, you're right. And weather is first and foremost the thing that traders are going to be watching. Absolutely. And another thing we're watching on the weather front is this warm-up that's expected across, well, really most of the country this week, across the Southern Plains and then through the Eastern Corn Belt later in the week. Naomi, before we let you go, let's talk about the wheat market. What is going on there? Can we string together enough good news to to find a bullish story or is wheat just going to flop along down in that same range it's been in for some time? Um, it's it's going to be a couple different things. So right now, it's like you said, Mike, it's kind of just flopping along, just trading sideways. I did see that there's starting to be some quality concerns with the Kansas wheat, especially if this heat comes through, they're thinking that it might not be the best thing um, for that crop. And then, of course, with the spring wheat, the biggest thing to remember there, um, you know, Last week, there were still like 2 million acres in North Dakota that had to be planted yet. And North Dakota represents um, one-sixth of the entire crop that didn't plant. And so it was um, a big number that was not yet planted. So I'm very curious to see how the planting progress goes on this report this time. Because the, those farmers in North Dakota are at the point also where they can decide should they be taking prevent plant or not because the longer it takes to get that crop in the ground, the yields have less chance of being fantastic. So this might be the year where they say, you know what, I am still emotionally and mentally scarred from 2019 and everything that I had to endure to get that harvest done. Prevent plant. And if that's the case, when you look at the breakdown of winter wheat versus the spring wheat versus Chicago wheat, um, that Minneapolis market doesn't have a lot of room for error. And so if those acres don't get planted, that's the market I'm watching first and foremost. And then um, Kansas wheat might see some action here as we head towards harvest as well. But uh, spring wheat is the one I'm watching. All right, spring wheat it is. Naomi Bloom, before we let you go, let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you if they've got questions or want to talk strategy with you about marketing. Yeah, please give me a call at 800-334-2000. Um, 
9779. Or you can find me on Twitter. Uh, just feel free to send me a DM at Naomi Bloom. Fantastic. Well, Naomi Bloom, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, you guys. It was great to visit with you. Well, folks, that was Naomi Bloom talking the markets here on this hashtag Market Monday. If you want to get caught up on other past episodes of the Ag News Daily podcast, visit our website, agnewsdaily.com, or hit us up on social media. Ashton Carr, our illustrious intern, will be posting there and responding. You can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Delaney House, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.